Um, we are going to be talking about faithfulness, one of the gifts of the Spirit. And um, the, the word faithful has the word faith in it. And it's a bit odd, like faith feels different than consistency. But it's about trust. It's about, are you trustworthy, faithful? Can I put my faith in you to do what you said you were going to do? So that's how the word faith ends up in the middle of this word faithful. And it's pretty easy to, um, to feel like you can't put your faith in stuff. Like most of us struggle with trust issues, maybe for good reason. So um, you think about the, the institutions that let us down. I mean, we can start with the government. Uh, I was listening to NPR this week and the Veterans Administration who gave out loans to veterans for their houses during COVID, they said, you can defer payments on your mortgage and we'll just put that at the very back of your loan period. Well, they just announced, we want all those missed payments now. And vets are being forced out of their homes. Their homes are foreclosing because their government reneged on their promise to be like, oh, we're going to put these at the back of your loan period. And you think about businesses, I mean, like Purdue Pharma, like intentionally marketing a drug that they knew was addictive, downplaying the addictive qualities in order to build their empire. Uber, the, the, you know, Netflix now loves the unfaithful businesses. So there's, I think three or four about Purdue Pharma, either documentaries or, uh, you know, kind of dramatic reenactments. Uber, uh, let's see, their documentary or their show on Netflix is called, uh, I don't know, like Pumped Up or All In. It's this empire that got built on sort of falsehood. They, they you know, skirted the law where they could. Their drivers were doing nasty things. They were sweeping it under the rug all for the sake of building this empire. You know, how do we trust organizations? Big or Philip Morris in the 60s, like, of course we don't trust organizations. Of course we don't trust the government. And of course we don't trust the church. Um, you know, you, you do a search for ch church scandal. Just try it, <laughs> you know. It's just pages and pages of stuff. And so this ability to extend trust just erodes. We've got trust issues and even in ourselves. I remember um, in college, I had a chemistry quiz. Well, in the before times, there used to be television that would play a program, but it would play it at a very specific time. Like you couldn't play it when you wanted. You had to be there in front of the screen at the time it said it was going to play. Believe it or not, 
So Cool Hand Luke was playing uh, on the television in the middle of the day during my chemistry quiz. I skipped the chemistry quiz to watch Cool Hand Luke. I got a D. Like, that was dumb, really. I mean, I am paying people to teach me this. I bought a product, this chemistry class, and like was really faithless in my promise to like, I'm going to take this class, I'm going to do the homework and I'm going to show up. Like, uh, Also, for me, speed limits are speed suggestions. And the limit is 35 miles an hour is the minimum. That's the limit to go. You can't go below that. So my own faithlessness shows up when I interpret rules or promises to my favor. Like, I think, you know, I think what they mean is, is probably this. Uh, I even heard that the, that the radar guns are like plus or minus seven miles an hour. So I'm like, okay, I think I can go seven because there's this, you can't get an accurate reading. Like that's just faithlessness to, you know, abide by the rules that we say is good to abide by. It's no wonder we have trust issues. Um, we, we have trouble putting our faith in institutions or in others. And for some reason, um, but what happens is this leads to suspicion and cynicism. And what that leads to is alienation. Our inability to trust others because we've been let down makes us cynical and alienated people. There is still faithfulness in this world. It still happens. Um, I was reading about a couple where the, the wife got dementia. And for years now, the husband has been faithfully caring for this wife who doesn't even remember that they're married. And his comment in this article was, she's making me a better husband. And here's the beauty of this elderly couple. Uh, They've been married over 40 years. They're not old. He's in his upper 60s. She's in her lower 60s. But their whole life has been turned upside down by her dementia. And he is remaining faithful to that promise when it is very inconvenient that happens. People still abide by the promises that they make. Uh, We've hosted Hannah's uh, boyfriend, Davis, who works for the city of Milwaukee, and he's helping us with a, a project. He said, you know, when he entered the, uh, city of Milwaukee municipality thing that he, he does now as a, as a city employee, He's pretty cynical about uh, government employees. Oh, good. Yes, there's Cool Hand Luke. There's the quote from the husband. Thank you. 
Um, he's been really impressed by the genuine and beautiful nature of people in the city of Milwaukee municipality. Like people who are really good people and care about the city and are there because they really have a heart to do good. It happens. There, there are altruistic civic workers and politicians. Uh, back in 2011, there were a couple things that happened in Cairo and Alexandria. In Alexandria, uh, a suicide bomber blew up a Coptic church. And the police in Egypt are kind of notorious for very severe crackdowns, like excessive use of, use of force. So Muslims began protesting about this in, uh, terribly, terribly cruel uh, crackdown that was underway by the police. Here's a group of Coptic Christians who have surrounded a group of Muslim protesters to protect them from the batons of the police. The church still has beauty and altruism and goodness in it. It may be very tempting to cancel the church. I'm urging you not to. The church is a big, beautiful, complex organism that has beauty and some failings, as we all do. Even I can occasionally follow the inconvenient rule. We were at an Airbnb that had, in my estimation, very excessive rules. Ever been to one of those Airbnbs? It's like this page of rules. I'm sure Doug's not like that, but like... <laughs> Okay, one person out of a hundred did something nasty and now they've got this rule that's like, well, anyway, you can't invite others over unless you clear it with us first. And I'm tempted to like, well, I think what they mean is you can't invite bad people over, but we're going to have our family, you know, my brother and his family and my mom, like... I think they're exempt from this rule. Janine's a much better rule follower. Nope, you need to call these people. All right, I'll do it. And of course, they recognized my mom was not a bad person and was exempt from that rule. But anyway, there are still moments when I choose to drive the speed limit, when I follow a rule, even though I feel like it's a silly rule, because that's what faithful people do. Another word for faithfulness is just adulting. Like it's just the right thing to do, just to do what you're told to do, what it says you ought to do, what you've agreed to do. It's just the basic rule of becoming an adult. It's surprising how many people my age haven't become adults yet in times when I'm not an adult. Um, If you're not trustworthy in handling earthly things, how are you going to be trustworthy in handling godly, heavenly things? God is the ultimate faithful picture, the Spirit of God. That's why it's a, a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of my favorite Old Testament passages from Deuteronomy. 
the Lord didn't set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. God's faithfulness is not dependent upon our holding up our part of the bargain. God's like, let's make this deal. I'll be faithful to you. You be faithful to me. Like, let's just get in a monogamous relationship with one another. Um, and the people of Israel said, we agree wholeheartedly. And then broke that covenant again and again. He told one prophet, I want you to marry an unfaithful wife so that you know what I feel. What it feels like to be cheated on. So that you can proclaim how hurtful it is to me when you're unfaithful to me. And then, you know, from Second Timothy... If we're faithless, he remains faithful. God's faithfulness is not dependent on whether it's convenient or not for God to be faithful or whether we hold up our part of the bargain. That's the quality that I want us to exercise. And... Um, Maybe you do it little by little. You don't start lifting 50-pound uh, dumbbells until you've got the you know, can of peas that you're working with to start with. You build that muscle up. The flesh is working against that. You will find resistance to faithfulness. Right before this sort of fruit of the Spirit is like, Here's the work of the flesh. By the way, there's a war going on. And the, and the power of the flesh is fighting against your ability to exercise faithfulness in these other things. Because when it's inconvenient to be faithful, the only time to be faithful is when it's inconvenient. If it's not inconvenient to be faithful, that's just called doing what you naturally would have done anyway. <laughs> it's when it's like... Uh, this is painful to be faithful in this place. It's about saying yes to God when it's not fun to say yes to God. Like with boundaries, there, there's a natural resistance to boundaries, just about any boundary. <laughs> But especially when God says, I want you to live within this framework. And trust me, people, the boundary lines have fallen pleasantly. But it will go well with you if you don't do this, if you don't cross this line. And you're like, mm, it looks really good just beyond that line, just a little bit beyond that line. Mm, 
it's not that good. <laughs> you just trust me here. Stay within these lines. A friend of ours, Mark, during 9-11, he was on a flight, um, and he sat next to this, uh, what, what he described as a very attractive Hawaiian woman who's a masseuse. They hit it off. They had a great conversation. An announcement comes over the intercom. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the plane, but we're going to be landing. They landed in Las Vegas. Like, we need to ground this plane, and people didn't know why, and they got off, and, you know, the news was on. They're like, oh, okay, it's going to be a while. The airline got them a cheap Las Vegas hotel, and so Mark, you know, went to the hotel. And during the sort of breakfast, uh, there was the woman he was sitting next to. Mark had a girlfriend in Madison. And so he sits next to the masseuse. She's a lovely person. And like she's talking about how she needs to keep up her craft. And uh, she just learned Lomi Lomi. Oh, Lomi Lomi. Kind of feeling a little tight. Might need me some lomi lomi, Marcus thinking. But that might be awkward. That I don't know. There's this sort of perhaps she's just, you know, genuinely wanting to keep up her craft. I'd be helping her out. There's something about him feeling like, I don't think either Cynthia or God would feel like this is a good situation. Like it's one of these fuzzy boundaries. Let me reinterpret this. Lomi lomi. I'm so far from homey homey. I just feel like it might be good to have a little lomi lomi. And so he's really wrestling with here's a lovely woman who's offering lomi lomi for free up in her room. No. Like, no, I just, I don't think faithfulness to Cynthia and faithfulness to God looks like putting myself in that situation. Usually there's this way to interpret it to your own benefit, right? There's when it's, it's usually not super clear, like, oh, you know, you know, any, any very clear violation would be like, oh, of course not. Usually you get tricked into faithlessness. It's like, huh? Yes, Doug, that reminds me that a friend of mine who's a missiologist researcher did this research on the history of Christianity and what makes for the growth of the church. And so he's speaking at a business convention, Christian business convention, and one of the businessmen raises his hand, could you tell us what the most effective way to grow church is? He's like, well, that's easy. Martyrdom. Silence in the room. <laughs> a, a person from the back raises his hand. Could you tell us the second most <laughs> effective way to grow a church? Like, we're always looking for ways like, well, you know. Um, I mean, even what if we're predisposed uh, genetically? to polygamy, like, oh, you know, the human person can love it. God's like, here's the boundaries I invite you to live within that are good and pleasant. 
even if you have a genetic predisposition toward, say, substance abuse, these are the boundaries I'm inviting you to live within. It will be good for you. doesn't matter what your body's telling you. The flesh is against the spirit. This is what it looks like to be faithful when it's inconvenient. Emotional health, how to set those boundaries. Be still and know that I am the Lord. That stillness is an emotional boundary that occasionally we need to set, even if you love being in and around people. Physical health, eating boundaries, sleeping boundaries. You don't need to go to the Old Testament or to the scriptures to know, I think there's a boundary here. Oh, I want a very specific law that says eating the third cookie or whatever. Like, you can intuit what being faithful to your body looks like, even if there's not a direct scripture that says don't eat the third cookie or whatever. Like, what's it mean to be faithful to our bodies and to our emotions and to our relationships? Sabbath is this sort of prophetic resistance to a culture of excessive addiction to productivity. Like be a prophet, don't work. That's a boundary that's there for a good reason. Faithfulness. Faithfulness in giving. We are not meant to be drowned in wealth, like it messes with us. What's it mean to be open-handed and generous with what we have? I had the privilege a few years ago of going to Cuba. There were, um, there's a student ministry there, like InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's actually thriving. Um, and I had determined, like, I know there's going to be an offering. Just about every university event has an offering, and it's for the student ministry there. I'm probably never going to be in Cuba again. I don't expect to be. This was like, I don't know, 2017. I do enjoy me an occasionally good cigar. Cuba's this place that's actually famous for those items. And I thought, okay, I've got a certain amount of money that I brought with me. Um, I'm not going to spend more on myself than I'm going to give in the offering. That's just sort of my general rule. I would love to get a box of Cubans. Well, that would mean that I would have to give this much and, you know, did this calculus so that I'm not spending more on myself than I'm spending on, minutes, on you know, giving away. So I start with a friend, Orlando, looking for a place because he wanted to buy some and bring them home. It was like the last day. And I'd given the offering money and I had this much left for my, the offering to me that I had set up. And so I'm in this place. We can't find like a place to buy Cuban cigars. In fact, I think they've got some rules about, you know, they export their best. It's sort of hard to find where can you buy in country. Maybe easier in Mexico to buy Cuban cigar than it is in Cuba. Anyway, we're at this kind of indoor marketplace and they didn't have them, but this 
older woman came up and, and in English said, can you help me? I want to buy milk for my grandchildren. Here's this offering that I have for my one chance in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, here. I think I did end up with enough to get one. <laughs> so, but it was, you know, I felt the flesh saying, no, you know, you've set this aside. You gave your offering. That, that temptation to cling to money is fighting against this faithfulness, to be faithful with what I have, to be faithful with this amount of money and to not cling to it. Hoarding, like I just feel the hoarder's instinct, with money at least, like I might need this. If I've got a $10 bill, and I know there's a different, you know, calculus with panhandling and stuff like that, but it's like, uh, no, I'll give a one. I won't give a ten. I, need, I might need this. I, you don't need it. Seriously, you're okay. You could give that away and not feel it. But no, I might need it. That that feeling is fighting against faithfulness in giving and generosity. What about school or job? Like, can you be faithful to your education if you're in school? What about your job? Can you be counted on to do what you said you would do? How do you exercise the faithfulness muscle? I have a tendency to overpromise and underdeliver. That's just not helpful. Better to underpromise and overdeliver. So, at least in your assessment of reality, you need to do that. But faithfulness looks like no matter how inconvenient it is, doing what you said you would do. Exercise that. Faithfulness in friendship. Like, even when your friend is not faithful to you. What's it mean to be a faithful friend? Oops. Anyway, the, the verse I'm thinking of is in Luke. I don't remember if it was up there or not. It says, um, it's the punchline of this parable. This master, you know, says, uh, manager, I'm you're done. You know, you've got a week or whatever. And the manager's like, yikes, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to be super shrewd and forgive all these, you know, reduce these debts. I'm going to make friends with good, wealthy people by reducing their debt. And like, Jesus is like, people of the world know how to be shrewd and um, are smart about their worldly stuff, if you are faithful with worldly possessions, this is the punchline, you can be trusted with spiritual ones. If you can be trusted to be faithful to 
the rules that feel inconvenient. You can be trusted with spiritual stuff. Can you grow that muscle of just being integrous, just being an adult, just being a decent human being with the things of this world so that you can be trusted with spiritual things? Being faithful to the church, even when it feels inconvenient or hard. Not necessarily just this church, but the capital C church. Like, how do we trust when we have been burned? How do we extend trust or faith when we feel like, no, that has not worked out? Kind of like the Airbnb place where like, I'm sure they got burned once and now they make this hard and fast rule forever. Like they can't trust anyone because one person took advantage of them. That turns you into um, a cynic. That makes you suspicious and that alienates you from others. So there's sort of two things going on. Being in the world means working with faithless people and institutions, extending trust to them, while exercising discernment. I'm not saying that you should be blind in your extension of trust, that, you know, people know how to operate their phones. I can trust that. <laughs> you know, you're just going to get burned every once in a while. It's like, okay, so there's always that one guy in the crowd. <laughs> You can dish it out, but you can't take it, Doug. <laughs> so, like, that's not going to stop me from extending trust. Now, I might be discerning, and there is a place for discernment. It's okay to manage that, but this sort of, I'm never going to trust the church again, I'm never going to trust the government again, I'm never going to trust a friend again, that's, um, you, you can't not be in the world, okay? It's just not an option. I suppose you can form your own enclave. You'll, you'll still find people that you trust that hurt you. But what's it mean to be in the world? Continuing to extend trust and faith in others but not being of the world means acting with faithfulness even to the unfaithful and when it's inconvenient. That's the muscle. It's simple. Faithful with the little. Faithful with worldly wealth. Faithful with things in this world. You'll be trusted more and more with God wanting you to do big things because God knows you can say yes when it's hard in the earthly things. You want to see God's kingdom come in power? Um, follow the Airbnb instructions. That's kind of the message. Right? You want to be trusted with seeing the kingdom come in power? Follow the Airbnb instructions. If you can be faithful with those, you'll grow this muscle to be trusted with much. And... Extend faith, extend trust, 
to others, to the church, to businesses, to institutions, with discernment. That's the invitation of faithfulness. Let me pray for us. God, I'm sorry for uh, always or regularly interpreting rules to my convenience. Thank you for those who are an example to me of doing the right thing when it's inconvenient and they know the rule was probably not written for them, but they do it. Would you help us to exercise that muscle of the little bitty faithfulnesses in everyday things? Forgive us our cynicism, recognize that we've been hurt. I know that's, and it's not really the same thing as trauma that needs um, a deeper level of healing, but all the little unfaithfulnesses that miff us, just make us irritated, that cause us to withdraw, alienate ourselves, build our walls. We can't be in the world with that posture. Give us a posture of extending trust with discernment. Even after we've been fooled or burned by people or institutions. Lord, we want to be in this world, which means being hurt by this world, without being of this world, which means doing what this world does. Help us to live the faithful life and then to earn the trust to have big invitations and opportunities afforded us by you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.